Hey everybody, this is Jason Bowman with Artspeak Creative. I'm here with Steve Pike. We got a fantastic special guest doing something awesome in Minneapolis. You're going to hear all about that. We are trying to crack the code of 21st century. And Steve, you know that today we're talking about something that's really that I'm passionate about uh, because I think it can set up a lot of church leaders, church planters for some really dynamic success. Yeah. Uh, we're going to unpack even what that would mean and what that looks like and the why behind it. But we're talking about reinventing funding. See, that's chapter three, uh, the third shift that you outline in your book, Next Wave. Can you just give us a nutshell of what we're talking yeah. about today? Yeah, well, this this chapter addresses, yeah, one of the, perhaps one of the biggest inhibitors of the church going to the hardest places and the and the nooks and crannies of culture, because the problem is that the, the dominant way of funding the church has been built around the idea that the healthy church is supported solely on tithes and offerings of the people that you reach. And that works fine when you go into a place where there's lots of people with a church background, they know how to tithe, they know how to give. So that's why that's been, you know, practiced and, and used. But when you go into places like urban centers where our, our guest is going to be, uh, he, he's in, uh, or other places, rural communities, there's so many places where that model starts to just not be helpful and effective. So I started looking at that when I, when I started Urban Islands Project and said, what do, how, do we, how do we fix that? And I realized the answer was what I call a diversified portfolio of revenue, the church, the, the church leader, the church needs to cultivate a diversified portfolio of revenue streams, categories of revenue is what we call them. And uh, I think this is not only going to be applicable for new churches and hard places, but I think over the next decade, um, it's going to become crucial for every church to start to pivot away from a tithe-only model to a diversified funding stream. So here are the five R really quick. Um, can, we will continue to have revenue from tithes and offerings because that's that's a stewardship issue. That's a matter of following Jesus and and demonstrating your faith and trust in Him by saying, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna give a portion back that I could use for my own thing, but I'm giving it I'm I'm giving it to you, God, as an offering, as a sacrifice, whatever. There's something really important. It protects our heart from being. Uh, overtaken by materialism and stuff like that. So that's that's tithing. But the reason we tithe is not to pay bills. It's to protect our hearts. The second stream for funding a church is, is what I refer to as just the donor stream, which is inviting people who will never be directly beneficent, benefiting from the ministry of the church. They're people from outside the community, from across the world, literally anybody that says, hey, I see the need for this church. I want to be part of it. And so they're investing in it. That's a second stream that, be, that can be cultivated, but it's really different than the tie stream. It is donative, but it's different. So it's donor-based. The third is co-vocational, which is where uh, the planter and the family of the planter, the spouse, everybody gets on board with saying, hey, let's contribute to our ability to be here using things that we have our capabilities. I think, Jason, you actually did that a little bit. You, you know, maybe out of desperation when you were starting the church, you said, hey, I, I don't even know if you knew how to do a website, but I think you started trying to design websites or something and, and got some people, but that's another story. But the point is you do something that you have the capability of 
to support your ability to be in that place and make disciples. And then uh, the fourth is non uh, nonprofit partnerships where you identify other community groups that are also their nonprofits, like a church is a nonprofit, but these are perhaps boys and girls clubs or English as second language stuff or after school programs. Um, there's nonprofit groups that are operating there and you form a partnership with them that is mutually beneficial and actually reduces the cost of doing business or maybe even potentially creates a revenue stream from uh, foundation money and things like that, that don't normally go to support churches, but they will support an after school program or something like that. And then the fifth category is the for-profit category where you either start a business or you partner with a business to generate some revenue. And here's the basic idea is before you go dive bombing into a community that isn't going to support the traditional funding approach do the research, find out, you know, what are the business opportunities here? What are the uh, nonprofits? Who's functioning? Maybe where there's a gap that we can start a nonprofit. What are the co-vocational activities? Who are the donors that might really want to see this church exist in this place that we're going to? And then what's the best, how do we help people that are beginning to follow Jesus uh, uh, learn how to participate in tithing. All that should be done before somebody goes into the community. So that's basically the essence of the chapter three. Yeah. And that's, that's what we're talking about today. Well, you know, I love it. And I want to just give a shout out to those that are just logging in here on the hub. Uh, welcome. I'm Jason uh, here with Steve. Uh, we've got a special guest we're about to introduce because he really embodies. He was uh, a, a lot of those principles that you just outlined, that you outlined in chapter three of Next Wave. But if, as you're listening, if you have a question, we're talking about reinventing funding because I, I think what I love about it is it's not just finance for finance sake. These opportunities are really uh, going to give us more of an on-ramp to individual mm -hmm. lives within the community which yeah. is different than just bivocational uh, traditional definition where I just, I, I have a job, but then I'm also doing this other thing. These are opportunities that yes, there might be for-profit exchange of value, but those are opportunities to build relationship opportunities to build influence into the community. I know Scott embodies that uh, in Minneapolis, but I would also, in, and he's in an urban environment, which I know is your specialty. And I know I, I can't wait for you to interview him a little bit right here, but I want to give a big commercial. I know that there are those that are watching that aren't in just an urban environment, but this conversation I think uh, is important because I think what we're going to see, and I already have in the suburban environments is that, the, that, that there's just the, the idea that you can go into a community and support a staff based on tithe. It, I think that idea is going to continue to evaporate over the rest of this century. So, mm -hmm. uh, so Scott was ahead of the curve, uh, and I'm so glad that we're having this conversation today. Uh, when he started Corner Church uh, several years ago, Steve, I know you and him go way back. So why don't you introduce our guest today? Yeah. But if you're watching, if you have any questions for any of us about in funding, drop them in the comments, and we'll be sure to answer them. Yeah. Hey, thanks, Jason. So. I'd love for everybody to welcome Scott Wooler, who, um, yeah, yeah, this, so here's the deal. I, I just shared sort of a theoretical idea for many people. It's like, oh, wow, I, I hadn't thought about that before. And what I love about Scott's story is um, I just realized 
He's been at this for 16 years, not 16 months or not yeah. 16 days. He's been at it for 16 years. It's, so he's not just a ivory tower theorist. This is a, he's got the, um, <laughs> the scars on his back and wherever else um, wow. from, <laughs> from pursuing this deal. But, but Scott intuitively realized as he, God called him into Minneapolis um, years ago now, uh, he intuitively realized, man, I, the, the, the prevailing model is just not going to work. And he had to figure something else out. So, Hey, we've, we've, the suspense is high. Scott, tell us, tell us uh, the story of corner, church and corner coffee and you know what how did you how did you figure this out tell us the story yeah i can give you the the you know thirty thousand feet couple minute version of it but uh, my wife and i uh, moving to minnesota i'm i'm a native minnesotan my wife is not but moving to minnesota uh with the call mission of planting became pretty clear and apparent uh we were very open in the communities that we were uh heading to, uh, like many planters, it's like, hey, we'll plant, we're obedient, we're, we're trying to be faithful in this, we don't necessarily know where. Uh, that isn't the case with everybody, but for us, we had some flexibility in that. And in the midst of this, uh, we were introduced to the urban core of, of Minneapolis. And, uh, and in that, um, just introduced to the idea that people, people live in the urban core and more and more every day mm -hmm. are. And this is, again, this is 16 years ago. And uh, it actually was kind of at the, the tail end of the dot-com boom, boom. And so there was even some question whether the urban center will continue to thrive. And little did we know, man, it is uh, across our country has magnified. But we were introduced to these communities that there weren't even historic churches present in them. Um, because uh, a lot of the places that became really cool to live, to work, to play were places that were historic warehouse and industrial centers. And, uh, and because of that, there would, would have been no need for even historic mainline denominational churches to be present in these communities. And now there are uh, thousands and a lot of cases, tens of thousands of people that live there and the absence, complete absence of uh, faith communities. But in the background of this, as we were, as we were introduced to this, the city, we knew that uh, uh, we wanted to do, like Steve has for generations, has encouraged church planters to ask the question again, plant a church that's for the community, not a church that <clears throat> you think other people would like uh, outside of the community. Uh, you know, see the needs, address them, uh, see the, the gaps, address them. Who can you partner with and what, what are you gonna do? And we saw really quickly that uh, space was a premium. Uh, there was a high level of angst or indifference toward the church, and that, that has continued on. Uh, there's uh, a high rent for living and also for, for space uh, for a church to meet. And we're putting all these things on the table. And then there's also some foundational things for me. Um, I, I share this story often is that I, I moved, we moved to Minneapolis uh, with a little bit of routing in between, but from West Texas and the church I was a part of there was planting churches in like small towns in West Texas, which is also known as like ghost towns or close to ghost towns. And uh, in that I, I'd been in many churches that the, the carpet was the wrong color and the ceiling tiles were stained with, you know, watermarks and all this stuff. And I asked many times, even before church planning was really in my heart, a genuine heartfelt, like a beautiful question is, tell me why, why do you come to church here? 
And I know that a lot of times in our modern like church vernacular, it's like, man, the kids ministry is amazing. And have you seen the size of the parking lot? And somebody greeted me with a really cool sign or I don't know, all this stuff. And nobody said anything like that. But the thing that people said repeatedly is that the reason I come here is because it's, I don't know, it's because it's my church. And that is just was so shaping for me that uh, uh, people weren't into the accoutrements and, you know, the music I'm sure it was great, but it was bad. And the messages were great, but I'm sure not really good. And, you know, all these different, like, you know, using overheads. Why do you come to church here? And it's because it was theirs. And that was shaping to me. And then also another thing that was really shaping to me too, is that seeing uh, several people and one dear friend of mine, he, I was camping with him over a weekend before we launched. And uh, he was telling me just in, in side story that he had, some work travel, had been sick over a weekend, and then was now camping with, with me. And he like, he hadn't been to his church in just over a month. And I said, man, they must think you're dead. And he goes, no, they don't even know. And this is a guy that was really involved. And again, that just was so shaping to me. And so when we came to downtown Minneapolis, we were asking the question, what is, what is the church here? What, in, a, in a community that is indifferent or has angst against the church, uh, what, what, is, what does the church look like? And we started to really just see communal walking distance space. And, and uh, we said, well, maybe it kind of looks like a coffee shop. That's where people hang out. Maybe we could look like a coffee shop. And then you, you start to look at the cost of rent space and you're like, oh, that, well, we can try to look like a coffee shop. Maybe out in the suburbs, we know we're called to the city and maybe we can like sell coffee cheaper than anybody else or give away coffee. And uh, nobody wants a free cup of coffee. And uh, doing a coffee shop that tries to break even is also known as a coffee shop that loses tens of thousands of dollars a year uh, or more. And, uh, and so we just started to build this narrative. And, and finally, some of the things that were just really key is that if we want to be missional and add, be valued in community, uh, we, we love, and we've said this for over 16 years, is that you know, it's one thing to value your community, but to be valued by your community is, is really our aim. And if you're truly valued, <clears throat> excuse me, valued by your community, uh, people will pay you for what you've got. And so if you want a good measure, if you are truly valued by your community, if people don't come to your free thing, maybe you're not valued in your community. <laughs> that kind of hurts for me to say that. I'm not trying to say that to be, but you know, like if I've had the moments so many times, like, man, it was so great. We had all of our volunteers and like four people came. It cost like $4,000 and like, man, we, a seeds were planted two or more together, all these types of things. But uh, long-term relationship with the community, uh, if you're truly adding value to a community, people will pay for it. And uh, so in the midst of that, we, again, we started to build this narrative of well, what if we did a for-profit community coffee shop? What if we did church that's within walking distance? What if we did instead of, you know, let's do this coffee shop thing. Well, I think he froze up a little bit. Uh, this is a right. great moment to remind anybody who's listening is Scott Reboots that uh, if you're watching, you have any questions, um, Scott's describing his story of launching a for-profit coffee house uh, that is so valued in Minneapolis yeah. that people pay for the coffee uh, to be there. I think maybe he's back. I'm Maybe I'm back. I'm sorry. Yeah, you're good. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Um, that coffee shop Wi-Fi is too slow. Uh-oh. <laughs> yeah. Uh-oh. Upgrade time. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, if, if it is, it's because there's there's 25 people upstairs using it. So. Oh, well played. Well played. <laughs> no, um, the again, the, our passion, our mission is to be within walking distance of the people in the urban dense parts of our city and doing what we do over and over again. And uh, I just to back up in this, as you talk about economic models in this, is that if you're looking for us, like Steve, your your insights, your your five insights and and funding the next generation of church model is that when I hear those, I hear, I don't hear anything easy. Right. <laughs> I, don't, I don't hear. And, and I think that um, for a long time now, I guess in the church planting world, as I think that there's a lot of desire and drive to be, you know, what is, what is going to be the easy way to fund this puppy? Yeah. And, uh, um, if we use easy as our as as part of our filter, we are not going to plant in the communities that we need to be planting in. That's good word. Yeah. This is where my my passion, my my drive is is really deep, and I get uh, I, I don't get necessarily like emotionally fired up about it, but I'm, I'll stand strong for yeah. my neighborhoods in our city. We're we're called to plant where there aren't people praying that somebody would come and plant a church. Uh, we're called to plant where there are massive gaps of uh, there. There isn't a bunch of Christians that are uh, ready to join our team. Uh, there is uh, there there are the impoverished, but there also is the completely disinterested in in the midst of affluence. And and so if if we just say, hey, let's plant where the money leads us, uh, we're going to miss most of our country, and that's going to become even more and more sparse in years to come. Wow, that that's. That's tweetable right there. If we plant where the money leads us, we're going to miss the opportunities that God's trying to connect us to. So, Scott, I love the fact that your your discovery of an alternative way to fund the church was driven by your passion for obeying God. You you, you didn't start out saying, hey, I think a coffee shop's a cool idea. So let's do that and see if that works. And, you know, you started off with, man, we need to be here in a place where, um, you know, it, 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 we can't see the answer how to fund this. And you set out to figure it out. So you, when, when you started this process, had, he, had you ever started a coffee shop before? It was that, did you have business background? So definitely startup background, but not, not in the coffee world. In fact, uh, part of our uh, you know, horrific experiences, it's just a miracle for how great we do things now and how bad we were at the beginning. But we, uh, a key is that it, we, we built this vision, we were drawing it, we were learning from anyone and everyone that we could. Um, I met with dozens of coffee shop owners and I met with uh, you know, again, probably a hundred church planters and, and definitely all the different city people that I could get a hold of. But uh, we, we know then and now is that we can do indefinitely, we can do church without a business. And currently we have three, we're about to launch four church locations and, and they'll, all of them will have coffee shops. But uh, while we could do church without a coffee shop or a valued in community business, uh, we won't do a valued in community business for a day without church being there. Mm. And so, and the, the part of that is, is that for us, if we say, uh, as soon as the business stuff kind of settles down, that's like very, you know, entrepreneurial conversation, you know, it's like, 
man, as soon as we get some, hit some of our numbers, as soon as we have some stability, as soon as we get the staffing number and as we hit the, the percentages that we need to hit, then, then I'll be able to give some time and capacity to the ministry. Well, after having, you know, three, soon to be four coffee shops for uh, well over a decade, it never calms down. You know, you know, it's, and there's all these outside anomalies that just wreck it all the time. You know, it's, it is road construction. Uh, it is businesses opening or closing, or it is a global pandemic. And so it'll never calm down. It'll never come yeah. down. So in this is that the opportunity for us to do the coffee shops is missional. We saw that there was a need for these gathering places, but the gathering place was uh, not something that we just thought, hey, let's be a cool coffee shop church. We can, you know, drink our, you know, locally roasted uh nobody cares about the coffee doing ministry and uh, people do care about the coffee, but uh, (laughs) doing doing ministry and thinking like pastoring a church that has coffee shops is just like sitting and drinking a cappuccino and talking theology with your neighbor. Uh, It's more like a lot of uh, snaking a drain and having a sermon prep meeting all within 15 minutes of each other. Yeah. Well, it's hard work. And I, I, I love what you're saying about that and the honesty in that. Uh, if you're just logging in to the hub right now, we're talking about uh, reinventing funding models so that we can crack the code of 21st century ministry. Uh, Steve's chapter three of Next Wave outlines uh, five uh, different ways to, you know, five to fund your church, five revenue streams, none of which are easy. Right. If you can tithe that growing a tithe base in the 21st century is going to become increasingly difficult, but getting external funding for people who will never come to your church, but are also Christians and believe in the mission of God. You got to have your ducks in a row to be able to convince them that that's a good return on their investment, (laughs) finding a vocation that you can do while pastoring. That's going to be tough. Uh, partnering with nonprofits and making sure uh, you know that you have all of the paperwork ready, and and then being able to serve your community well by that is going to take up time and effort, energy. Doing a for profit as an entrepreneur, I know there, it never feels like you've arrived. The, the overhead, you know, continues to as you grow, just it grows right along with you. And uh, but Scott, you've been able to unlock some of that. You've been able to, you've been there 16 years. So one, congratulations. You're doing ministry. You just said you have three coffee, you know, corner uh, dot coffee, uh, three coffee locations. You're about to have your fourth. I love your heart for having to have the church there on day one. Could you unpack for us? I just mentioned the term return on investment. And I know that's kind of a passion area of yours when it comes to finances, but also spiritual, how do you evaluate? What do those terms mean to you? Yeah, we, as the church love, I mean, there's economic return on investment, but there's also uh, harvest, quick harvest return on investment. And uh, um, again, when you plant, and Jason, you're in the suburbs, correct? And correct. so I'm, I'm, I'm not going to I will not on the suburbs. I, I will not. I mean, I'm sure the TGI Fridays and the Crate and Barrel are just treating you well, but. Um. <laughs> That's <gross. laughs> Thank you. Uh, yeah, those are all <clears throat> bricks, breadsticks. Uh, anyway, um, but the, the thing is, is that there is return on investment missionally that church plants can really focus on. Man, we, we celebrate them really hard. Like when a church plant is planted and when we can say 
that the story of, you know, we started with 10, but now we're sitting, you know, it's been kind of a slow growth, but we're sitting at 450 now. I'm like, what in the world? Uh, you know, we're, uh, it's, it's so easy to celebrate these vernacular and, and missional investment that is leads to exponential growth. And a lot of those are built on ready-made, almost Christian, previously Christian, disconnected or disaffiliated Christian community. And when we think about our return on investment in planting in communities where those ready-made people, ready-made is, isn't fair to them, but it, people that are almost Christian or nearly Christian or disconnected Christian, when we plant in those communities, there's quick financial return, but also missional return. Mm. And uh, when we think about return on investment in a community where if you could, out of a thousand people that live in a urban dense area, which is a very small footprint, if you grab out of those thousand people, the people that are uh, previously Christian, disconnected Christian, disaffiliated Christian, maybe a little bit of uh, hurt Christian, but are not attending somewhere, if you grab those just simple groups of people, uh, you might get two or three or four out of the thousand. And that's going to become more and more the commonality. And so right. to Steve's point and Jason, to your point is that uh, if we uh, plant with quick return on investment and uh, economic and missional return on investment as our parameters, we'll never plant in those communities. And so diversifying income, but also building model that can have patience and discipling people for where they really are. Uh, you know, Steve is the expert in talking about discipleship, not just as the moment of conversion, but way far away from conversion is the discipleship process. And, uh, and so I, I, I am a city person. Um, I grew up on a farm in rural Minnesota, but in an urban center area, uh, the number of people that it, the crowd of people that are clamoring to go to the new church is, is almost zero. Mm -hmm. And so uh, what, what are we going to do to disciple people from, I just don't care about church to, uh, you know, being a, a maturing disciple part of, of community. And we got to just build time into that. And that time is, has a lot to do with money. Yeah. So, um, Scott, let's. There's a a question that's popped up uh, from the audience that is a really great question. Kind of pivot a little bit. I think people are kind of wanting to get the nuts and bolts here. Um, how much? The question is, how much overlap is there between the the coffee shop staff and the church staff? How does that work? But the between those two things. Um, yeah, I I can draw. I can. Our model is is always uh, growing and improving. I hope a little bit better than yesterday, but uh, the simple of it is, is that in our multiple communities, uh, we have three fully functioning and, and one that is in pre-launch and then a fifth that is in a little bit farther from pre-launch, but um, all of our communities have a community pastor. That is uh, our goal, our mission in this, and this, this may change in the years to come, but our community pastors will be full-time full vocational pastors of that community. Um, we also have on our church team, we have uh, our coffee house general manager as part of our pastoral team. Um, and then our coffee shops have location managers and they are employees of the coffee shop. They are not necessarily, they're not part of our pastoral team. Um, our coffee house general manager is paid by the coffee shop while still being a, a church staff member. And there's some complexities in that. 
Our barista staff, we have no faith or church requirement for them. And so they are completely uh, coffee shop employees and uh, we don't have that. And so, so there's just that layers in that. Our community pastors, which I am one of them, and uh, our, our coffee house general manager, and then the starting over into the coffee shop world, our general, our location managers, and then our barista staff. And then we're, again, we're lean. We have a part-time administrator in our church world and uh, um, a couple other uh, lead people in our coffee shop world, but, you know, we don't have an office complex jammed with, yeah. with people. Stuff. So Scott, is it, is it oversimplifying it to say that you're like the, the, the you mentioned the vocational pastor, does that, is that person paid kind of by the ties of the church? And then the space is basically paid for the space and the general manager is paid for by the coffee shop. Is that? Yeah. Let me, yeah, it's a great, great question. And so our community pastors, again, are a hundred percent paid by our church world. So that's the generosity of our communities. And also the second part of your uh, group is there, there is a little bit and it changes over time, but there are people that are outside of our church community that invest in and, uh, but, um, and then our coffee shop staff and our coffee house managers and general manager are hundred percent paid by the coffee shop world. Now we're the, there's missional and then there's financial benefits of doing these things together. And it is messy and like blood and tears work, but <laughs> the, the missional I'll speak to that first is that, I think has to be answered really clearly and it can't just be replicated. But our missional why is that a coffee shop has a really localized customer base with high frequency of return. And so what that means is that there are people that live or work within two or three blocks of each of our coffee shops that are there two or three times a week and sometimes two or three times a day. And so why it's missional as a business is it allows us to have presence with people that are in our actual community at a high repeatable rate. And that's incredibly missional. Uh, do we, you know, write scripture verses inside their cups or any? no, we're a community coffee shop, but we get to be part of redefining what it is to be a church and a community to add value uh, to community, to build relationship that people discover who we are through relationship. Now the economic piece of it is, is that in an urban area, and it, it's true in suburbia as, as well, for sure. And it's, it's becoming more and more complex in a rural area is that a church plant simply super easily can spend 40 to 60% of their annual income on their space. And for, especially for year one, two, three, four, you know, it's like, yeah, we, we brought in $3,000 of tithes and offerings last month and our theater only charges us $5,000 a month. Pretty good. <laughs> yeah. You know, so why is your, why is your pastor not being paid? Well, because we pay $10,000 a, a month in rent for the AMC or the junior high, whatever. And so the, the economic benefit is that our coffee shops don't pay for ministry. They don't pay our pastoral staff, but they do keep our cost of space like incredibly low. We pay one seventh of our lease rate. The church does one seventh of our lease of all of our spaces. The coffee shops pay six sevenths of our lease the simple math of that is because the coffee shops are closed on Sundays and we use the church uses them all day on Sunday. And so that keeps our percentage of church income that is spent on space low. Mm. And in an urban environment, it's radically low compared <laughs> to like 
where are you going to gather 50 to 250 people in the urban area, uh, in urban dense areas that, uh, that is affordable? It's, it's very, very small or accessible. So, so just, to, just to clarify, because somebody asked a, another uh, audience member asked the question, what percentage of the coffee shop income actually goes to fund the church? And it sounds like you just, yeah, that's what I thought you were saying. So, now, what it is, though, is that 100% of coffee shop proceeds go towards multiplying space. And so um, we, we're going we're gonna to launch more and more coffee shops. And in the midst of that hand-in-hand, we're going to be launching more and more churches. Our, our mission is to have a corner church and a valued-in community business within walking distance of everybody in the urban, dense parts of our city. Our coffee shop income is going to have has room to be spent and so the coffee shop doesn't i don't get pay you know i guess you know i'm like the ceo of this corporation and i've i get nothing from the coffee shop um our pastoral staff our goal is that our pastoral staff that we would spend 10 to 15 percent of our time goes towards the coffee shop world if it's you know filling in it's building relationship it's serving behind the counter if it's fixing drains whatever um, and that ebbs and flows below and above that by the season, but we do, none of our pastoral staff gets paid a penny from the coffee shop world. But the thing that we do get again, paid in like air quotes is that our pastoral staff is paid. Yeah. And the yeah. reason our pastoral staff is paid is because we have budget room to pay our staff as opposed to paying a massive rent in an urban area. Right. Right. And there, there's the, that's the benefit of the, the symbiotic relationship there is what you've done is eliminated one of the big uh, overhead costs of operating a church in an urban area and pretty much any area, <clears throat> excuse me, is that the coffee shop sort of takes that cost of the space out of the equation for you as far as supporting your team to be there. Right. Yeah. And I think there are, there are models where you could, lower that or any of those pillars. And so the pillar can be bivocational. It's like, I don't even need to get paid by the church. Wow. That's great. Um, it's not necessarily a comment. There's, there's some challenge and hardship in that, but then there's also, you can lower that other pillar of the cost of space. And, uh, and, but that also has cost as well. You know, you can, uh, again, doing a coffee shop is challenging, like launching a, a small business is challenging. Planting a church is really, really challenging. Doing them together is stupid. But, <laughs> uh, and, and we, I was actually talking to one of our team members today, again, about the code. And if any code that we have discovered is, is it's team and it's doing things together. Um, if, you, if you want something not necessarily, maybe it is just even easier. Um, if you want to plant a church easier, plant two of them together. <laughs> it seems stupid, but I think that uh, may, maybe it's commiserating, but I think it's that the, the synergy is, is really, really has a ton of value. And I, I want to talk more about that, uh, Scott, because I think, uh, one, it fits so well right here on this platform, on the Exponential Hub. So those of you, I know some may just be logging in right now. Uh, if you have any questions, uh, we're talking with author of Next Wave, Steve Pike. Uh, I'm Jason Bowman with Artspeak Creative. We are interviewing Scott, who is the pastor and self-titled CEO of 
corner.coffee. Uh, yeah. and, uh, and, and he's he just, we're talking about reinventing funding so that we can reach people in the 21st century. Um, I, I am curious, uh, one for clarity, my understanding is the money also does not flow. It, you meant, you know, it covers the cause, but it, the money doesn't flow from the church necessarily into the coffee house either. Correct. Correct. Because, um, yeah. When, when we're nailing it, and we, I would say that a lot of the time we're not, uh, but when, when we're nailing it, uh, there is the symbiotic relationship is, is, it is mutually beneficial, but it isn't necessarily economics going one way or the other. Uh, there have been over, again, well over a decade, there have been moments where the churches had nothing, nothing. And so the, to have the coffee shop be able to uh, defer rent you know, because the church rents from the coffee shop. We are one entity, two organizations, for-profit, non-profit, all that mess. But, mm. uh, but also at the same time, there have been moments when the coffee shop has, has really struggled. And how many small businesses have a community of people that are willing to, to serve? You know, it's like, uh, think about all of the things that go into a small business from uh, renovation to even just like simple painting and upkeep and all these things. When you have a community of people that are willing to serve it is, mm. is a huge, it's cheating. But uh, we we need to do that and take advantage. Well, of that. I think the the thing that I've have seen when it's even with coffee shops and churches that try to underwrite their cup of coffee with donations, it's a great yeah. way to burn relationships with other entrepreneurs in your city. So you guys have been able to navigate that well, and it sounds like you have some boundaries set up. Um, I'm also curious, you, you're talking about right now getting ready to launch your fourth coffee location. So one, you're absolutely right. I've, if, if anyone is watching uh, and you feel like, oh, there it is, that's the, that's the church uh, funding model, just coffee shops. That's the easy way to do it. That's not what we're saying at all. It, in fact, if you've ever done the math, which I have on uh, how to start a coffee shop, it is not the prettiest picture. The margins are very, 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 very thin. But you guys have, you said, you know, you have all these repeat customers, yep. which means you have good coffee. You do care about the coffee. You do care about that experience. I know personally from talking to you, you've won some awards in your city for having really great lattes. Um, as you launch these other campuses, you know, one question, you know, I, I guess I would have is how do you evaluate where, how do you evaluate when? Um, and then are those, uh, I'm not, you know, just kind of unpack all this for us, Scott, but are they, you know, the, does the church, when it gathers there, you mentioned as a community pastor, are they doing the teaching? As that team expands in your mind currently and into the future, do you guys, one question that came out, do you guys meet with regularity as a staff and on the church side that's doing business, but also in the, if you could just unpack that, how do you figure out where the next one goes? And, uh, and then how do you, how do you relate as a staff? Okay, so I'll, I'll start with the staff and then go into the next. Uh, yeah. we, we are, well, we're not a campus model church. We're a community model church. And this is, this is only vernacular maybe that we use. It's, I'm not saying that this is something that, but we, we are not a mothership model. We're not a, a simulcast broadcast model. We're not a get the play, run the play model. Uh, our goal as, as Corner Church is that as we are in multiple communities, we do it together as one church, not so that everybody will do the same thing, but so that everybody can do their community better. And so it's, it's a synergistic model. It's not a, um, we figured it out. And so we're going to pump it to all these different places. Uh, each of our communities are radically different. 
And that'll continue to be. And in fact, in an urban dense area, you can cross a street and it's radically different. And so um, we want to empower our community pastors to be able to nail it there, to empower people, to entrust, to, to meet needs in those communities. And we feel like we can build a ton of capacity to do that as we do things together. And, uh, and so again, it's, uh, we do all of our, our teaching, we do team preparation, which I, I, th I think we're doing better than ever, but team preparation is costly in time. And so I, just before this, we have a Thursday morning team prep meeting that is about future. We have a Tuesday uh, morning meeting that goes over lunch that is about that current week. We have a Friday where we record our podcast, which is kind of like for us, it's just like, you know, building that final preparation as a group. And then all of that is it's active in the Google Docs world where we're, I mean, we're building meeting, talking and planning far out and all this stuff, but we do all of our teaching has commonality. But again, our mantra is it's not about saying the same thing, but by doing it together, what we say is better. And, uh, and so we're, we're together a lot. And one thing that we haven't cracked is that what, what happens when we, when we launch somewhere that is 10, 15, 20 miles away? And how do we do those degrees of connection? Maybe that's simpler after 2020, 2021, but maybe not. Um, so we're, we're navigating that. And then when we look at next community, um, again, we, we function out of, as a community pastor rises to the surface internally or, or externally, um, that's the thing that we really start immediately. Like we say, first level is that we could plant, there's 10,000 places in the Twin Cities Metro. That would be great. We're not short on places. But then we really go through a lot of what uh, Steve, you and your team developed 100 years ago about body mapping. Uh, we really want to understand who's in community, what are their needs, and how are we going to meet those needs, who's already meeting those needs. And, uh, and then bringing that community pastor to where they have clear affinity and connection and even some uh, passion to be there. We want people to be in these communities for a while. So it's like, I guess I could be there for a little while is not part of the answer. It's like, oh, I can imagine being living here for, for the rest. And uh, it's yeah. not a required, but that should be part of our processing. And so then also there's some flexibility as opportunity arises. Our next plant, um, we had a couple that had been circling for over a decade actually part of our community had moved away and we're circling coming back. And uh, in the midst of that, we also had opportunity through a strategic partnership to having a new space, new coffee shop, new church community. And again, it's a God thing that they are perfect as a couple to be community pastors there. There's opportunity for us to open coffee shop and have church space really quickly. And, and again, cheating because of partnership and our economic startup. And then, uh, and team, they have great affinity with a new team that they've been forming over the last six months, and it'll be six months more before we launch there. Scott, you kind of answered, there's a couple of questions, and you, you kind of answered one of them somewhat, but just maybe a little bit more uh, bullet point kind of thoughts on advice for somebody. They're asking the question, how do you determine what kind of business would be a good fit for the community and for your own leadership. Um, any, any thoughts on that? Yeah. So I think that there are, there's, there are a couple of whys in the road. And if, if the why down the road is purely economic, um, <clears throat> there are a lot of things that are uh, 
things that can be done that are just provide money, but they don't provide space and they don't necessarily provide community uh, connection. And a lot of those, I mean, they're from a cleaning service to home health care to all these things that could be done as part of the church or the ministry that could be funding, but won't necessarily connect with a lot of people. Uh, there is, you know, space. It can be just like how to diversify your space a little bit. So there's, again, another why in the road is to, you know, if it's a daycare or, or a coffee shop or a community event space, whatever, wedding venue, all these different things. And then there is, you know, the, the other why into the other extreme is that it is just about relationship with people. So it could be just, you know, it could be a playground or whatever. But, um, you know, the, the thing to really do is to understand gaps and uh, um, it isn't just a moment like for us, you know, we're not looking for communities that have no coffee houses, but we do want to understand what, what is the, what is the gap in the neighborhood? What is, what is the gap where there are people that are clamoring or wanting something that they would go to often and close by? And those are our filters. We're, we're going to only do businesses that are proximity-based and high frequency of return. So that could be a gym. Man, I hope we open a gym. I would love to dump my gym membership and go to the corner gym. Uh, I, it, it could be co-working space. Um, it could be a, a family event or a, a rec center. Um, and probably the likelihood as we go forward, and we're seeing this in our plants that are coming, is that it's going to be a hybrid of a lot of stuff. Yeah. But again, for us, being valued in community is really important. And if you are truly valued yeah. in community, you're going to offer something that people are willing to pay for. Yeah, that yeah, that seems to be a really, I keep hearing that theme recurring as being valued in community. So really, the, the question is, what does this community want? And, and it goes back to your gap statement. It's like, what's the gap here? What's what's missing? And, and is it possible that we could provide something that, that fills in that gap that uh, it, it, it gives us um, a lot of connectivity with people in the community. Um, another really, really, this is like super pragmatic question here. How did you raise the capital to start uh, to, you know, for the startup costs? Cause you got to buy equipment, stuff like that. It's not cheap to do this. How, do, how where does that money come from? Yeah, it's brutal. Uh, I know that like church planting money is it's so cheap compared to business startup and business startup, you know, it can really quickly, you can go, man, espresso machines are $15,000, but $15,000 is nothing compared to profit loss. Um, and um, that's something again to, I would encourage you, you know, go to a local, uh, you know, community college or university, go into their business department and go, Hey, does anybody in the grad program want to work on a performa of a business startup for me? Uh, or if you have the skills to do that yourself, but to understand the cost of opening, not just at day one, but the cost of being open for up to year three, because you just lose so much money. And I mean, I remember when we first started, I, I just you know, waking up with a desperate prayer that sounded a lot like God. <laughs> you just, you know, if, if your youth pastor loses $10,000 at a lock-in, there's some meetings and like, there's a disciplinary review. There's <laughs> a board member is assigned to the youth pastor so they don't do that again. And, you know, they may lose their job, but a coffee shop can lose $10,000 a month for a year and a half. And I'm not very good at math, but that's bad. 
And so again, so how did, how did we do it? It is a miracle. We, we had um, some people that were willing to do line of credit, some investors. It wasn't a gift. It was a loan, no interest deferred payment loan that uh, took us over a decade to pay that back for location one. And so there is no, I, I, I would, it would be great to just have all this money. And I don't think anybody does to just like, we're going to fire it up. But, you know, pray for the miracle and get ready to, uh, um, yeah, suffer the consequences. <laughs> but I, I, would in, I would discourage people from doing traditional lending that requires payment immediately. I just, it'll hamper you so much. You just won't make money to make a payment back initially. Mm. And so whatever that miracle is in that. And then and two, on top of that, again, this is, it's not necessarily easier for us in the long run, but it's easier because 100% of our coffee shop proceeds, again, go, which coffee shop has three pillars that are terrible. It's, it's high rent, it's labor intensive, and it's small margin. And so if you have those three things, you should never, ever, ever do that business. <laughs> high rent, labor intensive, low margin. Uh, but the coffee shop carries all three of those pillars. And so it's not a great way to make a lot of money. And if, if anybody out there who hears this in the echoes says that if you're wanting to start a coffee shop to fund ministry or fund a ministry or to dig wells or to help marginalized people, uh, do something else, do something yeah. else. Unless it's about employing them, do something else. But startup is hard, but uh, you got to, businesses are starting all the time, but they're also closing all the time because they haven't figured out that cost over time. Getting open is kind of cheap compared to what you'll lose in year one and two. Mm -hmm. Wow. So uh, I, I know we're getting close to the top of the hour here, Jason. I want to ask at least one more question that I, that, that I think kind of ties this all together. So Scott, these I've, I've been to uh, corner cop. I've been to all of your shops and I haven't been to the fourth one because you haven't started yet, but anyway, they're, they're all relatively small spaces. And when people think about a, ch a traditional church, you know, you want to have like a really big room and have room for everybody to sit in rows and listen to the sermon and stuff. And one of the things that's interesting about choosing to go the route you went, which was kind of, Again, the route you realize this is the only way we can do it. If we're going to be the church here in this place, we've got to be willing to be in a small space and, uh, you know, have this uh, symbiotic relationship with a, with a coffee business. But that actually shaped the, the way the worshiping community worships God, you know, and, and um, I, I don't know what you're doing now, but I know when I visited um, several years ago, you guys, you know, we sat around the tables. Uh, you didn't like put the tables up, up against the wall and put everybody in rows. We sat around the tables that are there for the coffee customers Monday through Saturday. And we actually, the, you were, your message that day or the way you per, shared the message was almost more like a facilitator of a conversation. And uh, it was, thought, you know, you had it thought out, but, but you were provoking us to talk to the people that we were around the table with. Um, so it was kind of intermittent. Here's some stuff to think about. Okay. Now talk about it. Just talk to us about how, you know, doing the coffee shop thing has actually shaped the shape of the community. Oh, Steve. Um, so I, if you want to know, like 
my real passion in discipleship, it, it really ties down to these things. And, you know, I, in the nerd, like I could nerd out for hours on the bringing together coaching principles and Bloom's taxonomy, you know, again, just Google some, uh, the high, walking towards the higher degrees of learning, moving from just simple understanding, being able to, under, you know, being able to remember, understand and apply super simple levels of, of learning, but to get up to, to be able to evaluate and be able to analyze and be able to create, those are the highest levels of learning and you have to be a participant in those. And then, so we see in all of our teaching is that we incorporate dialogue in order to move people to the highest degrees of learning. And we use coaching principles and follow the, again, taxonomy learning theory and how to get there. And it fits in, it, you can be in a room that has bolted down chairs or pews or whatever people sit in, or it can be around a, a, a coffee shop sitting around tables. But yeah, again, people's focus and attention is a sham. People need to be engaged in conversation in order to have any attention and change. And so, I mean, right now, Jason isn't even listening. He's thinking about all the podcast, all the broadcast stuff. And so we engage conversation. <laughs> we're, we're all about conversation. It's super intentional. And, uh, and I love to talk about that. I'll, I'll say it. I can even, you can post it, whatever. But, you know, people can text me or call me 612-801-9233. I don't care. I, I love to talk about coffee shop and church. I love to talk about learning theory. But uh, we're, we're reachable. And uh, um, it, it is beautiful. There are some people in our community that need a place to come and hide out. And we're terrible at it. We're terrible at it. Uh, people need a place to come and just kind of mix in for a little bit and just can't deal with talking with people. And we're terrible at that. And uh, we, I, I don't know how to address that actually sometimes, but the thing that we're we're really good at is coming and having a place where you are engaged, connected, related with, valued, listened to, uh, and uh, and we're going to try to do that really, really well. Did did you say earlier you you threw out a number of four hundred and fifty? Was that just an example number, or is that kind of the number of people that you guys are serving as a worshiping community? Is that your I, no, we're, it's under that, but we have okay. in our crowd, you know, in our church community crowd, uh, yeah, we have anywhere from 50 to 150 in each of our communities. And the, the beauty of being an urban ministry as well is that lateral movement within our country and within our world is, it's like being next to a military base. And so it's very normal in the corner church world to have, you know, like we have 42 new people added to our community this year and we had 47 move away. And yeah. so again, that that's the normative. If you're looking to plant, again, this, the importance of economic models. If you're going to plant in a community that is highly transient, uh, you, you can't, uh, can't build it where uh, you need that ready-made people walking in the door and are ready to tithe on day one. And once they learn it, they move. Yeah, so good, Scott. I think the thing, when you mentioned 450, I think you were talking about uh, maybe another church model in the suburbs that had seen what you even called it exponential growth. But I, I just encourage you, what I hear from you is what I know on this exponential hub, what they would call exponential growth, because you're not just talking about rapid additional growth, but you're talking about how can we multiply what God has begun in this one place into those others. And I think uh, you're getting ahead of us uh, as we continue this conversation on this hub over the next few weeks. But uh, 
shift four of Steve's book, Rethink Team Building. And I think if there was one big takeaway for me hearing you today over this hour, it was, you know, it was the team aspect, you know, your, your team teaching, not because you haven't figured out, but because you personally and everyone's better at it. If we do it together, you're uh, going into these communities, you're better as a team. And, um, you know, I, I love that. And, and even his final, uh, you know, shift 11 recommit to multiplication and you're, you're doing it, man. And it's just, uh, such an honor. Uh, you've, you've thrown out your phone number. Uh, I also want to have us drop in some websites for those that might not have caught the number where they can connect with you cornerchurch.tv, um, as well as corner.tv coffee. And uh, for everyone listening today on the hub, uh, we've got a couple links. One, you can uh, buy the book. You can join our online community. We'd love to have you a part and have this ongoing conversation. But today also we have uh, an opportunity where you can download Just Shift 3 for free. You can have the PDF of this chapter. So if reinventing uh, funding models, uh, is like really resonating. Like I, you need that template today. You don't have to wait for the book to arrive. Uh, you don't have to wait for us to talk about it again on the community. You're welcome in those places, but you could for free go to link today. They're going to drop it there. Uh, and you could follow along. You can download that, that chapter three of the book, uh, today for free. But, uh, Man, Scott, thank you so much. Uh, such an honor. Um, man, just can you give us any nerdy coffee tips on the way out? What's your What's your favorite coffee? It looked like you were drinking maybe a nitro brew there. Um, do you guys? What are you drinking? Yeah, I, I'm drinking our Ethiopian, but in a Topo Chico cut bottle cup. Uh, it makes our team pretty aggravated that I like to drink hot drinks and cold drink cups, but. Okay. It was a curveball. <laughs> I would tell people is go to your, the local most, you know, just if you, you can tell coffee shop employees are really into it uh, re really quickly. If you see just their love for the coffee and uh, just go there and ask them a bunch of questions. So like, what do you drink? Why do you drink it? What is your favorite thing? And uh, um, it's so fascinating to love, and care for and listen to people that love coffee. And so it's everywhere, it's, it's everywhere, find it. Uh, and if you're going to a chain, it's okay. Uh, just get to know the people and try to ignore the coffee, but. Uh, <clears throat> hey, do you guys roast your own beans? That, that was my question. Yeah, yeah we do. We, we roast all of our coffee in one of our locations. And uh, if you go to corner.coffee, you or your church, we have wholesale options. And 100% of our wholesale coffee world goes towards, again, towards multiplication of mission. Corner.coffee. I'm going to go there today and uh, buy some beans because that's, that's, that's what I'm going to do. I need some and uh, need more coffee in my life. And uh, man, just so thrilled, honored to connect with you again today. Uh, Jason Bowman, Steve Pike, Scott Waller with Corner church.tv doing a fantastic thing. Steve, any final thoughts? No, I, I, Scott, thanks for being with us. And you've done a great job of helping us think about this in it's okay. such an important, it's such an important question. And I, I hope people have a more realistic, I hope people actually uh, follow up themselves by thinking about their situation and going, wait, 
how can we maximize um, our presence in this community and in doing so um, actually increase uh, the, the financial support that allows us to be on mission with Jesus. So I hope people will get, be, be intentional and thoughtful about that. Love it. All right. We'll see you back here on The Hub in a few weeks.